This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Wisco Sports Show, I am your host, Grant Bills. 580 AM, 96.7 FM, or streaming live at WKTYsports.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, hope you're having a fantastic Tuesday, and I certainly thank you for making me and my show a part of it. Wild Monday night, it really was. And the Brewer game last night was wild. The Monday night football game was wild. And uh, it doesn't look like our NFL problem, our penalty problem is going away. Sorry, I... And it was on display last night for uh, for national television to see, which I'm sure, I don't know, does the NFL like that? We, we say there's no such thing as, as bad publicity, but when you're the NFL and you're already on top of the world, I don't know. An up-and-coming musician, an up-and-coming actor, maybe they're thinking any publicity is good publicity. But if you're Tom Hanks, if you're Barack Obama, I, I feel like bad publicity could be bad, right? I don't know. Just a thought I had. They, they say the NFL loves to be in the headlines, but the NFL is already on top of the world. They're already making fistfuls of money. Is any publicity really uh, good publicity? I don't know. I don't know. Just think think about that. Chew on that for a little bit, and we'll definitely get into uh, more details of last night. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. You want to give me a call or shoot me a text? We can talk about it. You can also get in touch with the program on Twitter at WKTY or me personally at Keystroker Grant. Now, I did post a tweet and a poll that we're going to be talking about coming up in just a couple of minutes. So if you want to go vote on that, go do it. It's about Craig Council's bullpen strategy last night. Or I guess a better way to put it would be just his pitching strategy last night. Did you like it? Would you use it again? Yes or no? The poll is posted at WKTY's Twitter account. I have also retweeted it. A lot of ways for you to chime in and if you want to give further thoughts, if you want to give an opinion, you want to voice your opinion, 608-796-2558, and we can really dig into it. I want to start just briefly with the Monday night game last night because it was wildly entertaining in multiple different ways. Look, I'm going to be honest. Neither of my teams were involved last night. I was rooting for as many roughing the passer calls as possible because I'm annoying like that. I'm a jerk like that. I want to see you the, the you-know-what hit the fan. That's what I want to see because I think that's the only way that things are going to get better. If it becomes unbearable to the point where people don't watch, then something might happen. Maybe. Even if not, it's kind of fun to talk about when it's not your team, isn't it? It's kind of funny to watch the players and the officials and the fans in the stadium and everybody on Twitter. It's just kind of fun to watch things squirm. It's kind of funny to just watch it burn. You know what I mean? So last night, that's kind of the shoes I was in. Last night, four roughing the passer calls and one that was picked up. I didn't watch... The game start to finish as I was going back and forth between the Brewer game. I was doing some homework. I was doing a lot of things. Some show prep for today. So there were, for sure, there were four roughing the passer penalties called, which is enormous by itself. There was one that was picked up. There may have been more. If there was more than one that was picked up and you saw, um, you can call me on that. Not really that important. But even the bigger story, perhaps, was the 22 penalties as a whole. 235 yards of penalties last night. 13 from the Steelers. Whoosh. Made for a, a just a bummy ball game. Any entertaining play at all, it seemed like it was coming back because of a hold. Especially on special teams. Oh my gosh. There has never been a punt return. A good, entertaining punt return. That an NFL official didn't ruin with a flag. Like They, they have never seen a punt return that they aren't going to try to ruin with a flag. I, and it's getting to the point now where you just, you just take out the punt. 
They all come back anyways. You just fair catch it? Do you just let it drop every time? I don't know. They were so they were so caught up in the kickoffs a couple of years ago that they changed a couple of rules. Why are the punts any different? It's a it's a bad product. It's ugly. Twenty two penalties last night on national TV, on ESPN, including some of you may have heard this last night or seen it on social media. It's a kind of a polarizing statement that ESPN's latest color commentator, as they kind of revamped. Monday Night Football this year. Jason Witten made a comment last night. It kind of struck some people the wrong way regarding the roughing the passer penalty. And what's funny is we all agree with Jason Witten. And he still worded it in a way that was like, ah, I don't know if you want to say that. The NFL is probably saying, yeah, hey, ESPN, we're calling you tomorrow because uh, you can't be saying stuff like that. Here, I'm just going to let it roll. This is after one of many roughing the passer calls last night. Jason Witten doing color commentary. It's just gone too far with that rule. You know, it's just, and I I felt that, that I knew they wanted to make it about the health and safety and protect these quarterbacks. It just seems like we just went a little bit to the left wing on that, you know, with our approach of trying to protect it because, as we said, not only the players frustrated, but the coaches. They don't know how to coach this. And that's when you have a challenge with this rule. A little to the left wing? Did you catch that? Please tell me you caught that. I didn't catch it last night. I heard it this morning. Little left wing? It just seems like we just went a little bit to the left wing on that, you know? Oh, Jason. I do color commentary uh, for some of our local coverage here on WKTY. I don't claim to be amazing at it, but I don't think Jason Witten has worked out in the same way that CBS hit the gold mine with Tony Romo. I don't know. I dislike Booger McFarlane when it comes to college football, but I think he's been spectacular, and they have him on that, that cart that's moving around on the sideline. They were doing a live shot to him last night as he's trying to run down some film and, and make good points, and he's his head's swinging around and his stuff's flying everywhere. <laughs> and then you got Jason Witten, you know, up in the booth. You know, it's just, you know, it's it's not it's it's not a good rule, you know? It's it's bad as he talks himself in circles, including calling an NFL rule left wing. Jason, what part of your mind thought that was a good idea? It just seems like we just went... A little bit to the left wing on that, you know? I'm not trying to pick on Jason Witten. He's doing a better job than than I could be, I'm sure. Color commentary is very difficult. It's difficult to sound polished. And play-by-play is the same way. It's difficult to sound polished and prepared when you're doing a job that's fly by the seat of your pants. It's tough. And I get that. But Jason, 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 Jason. And I bet, and he's working with ESPN, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got an NFL call today saying, hey, you know what? And you noticed last night a couple times they didn't show the replays. They didn't show the replays of the roughing the passer. They just moved on like it didn't happen. Ugh. I don't know if that's that's coming down from the NFL and as a part of their contract or what. But there were a couple roughing the passer replays that they just didn't show. It's like, yeah, we're not going to show that. Keep moving. Nothing, nothing to see here. Keep moving. Ugh. Well, anyways, the Steelers won. That really wasn't the point of uh, the discussion. They won thirty to twenty-seven. They almost blew it. Thirteen penalties after having twelve in both weeks prior. I didn't know that until yesterday. That's wild. Steelers fans, what's going on? 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. Despite that train wreck that happened on Monday Night Football, and when I say train wreck, it, neither one of my favorite team wasn't involved. I'm sure most of our listeners, although Steelers fans are there everywhere, I'm sure most of our listeners didn't have a team involved last night. I kind of enjoyed it in this dark, twisted way. It's kind of like watching a car accident. You want to look away. You know you should look away, but you just can't. You just can't. It's kind of the same thing last night. And then we had the Brewer game, which was odd in and of itself. The Brewers did get the win last night uh, as they went on the road to Bush Stadium and beat the mighty St. Louis Cardinals. But it was in the strategy that was the bigger storyline. Craig Council elects to go with something we saw last year, 
especially later on in the year from, from the Brewers, and that was to just let the bullpen take the game. They started Dan Jennings, who only faced a batter. Only faced one batter. Came in, his job was to get Matt Carpenter. He did it, and he exited in favor of Freddie Peralta and so on and so forth, and we rolled through a bullpen, and the Brewers luckily got the win last night because you hate to lose a game and burn up your entire bullpen in one night. Now, last night's game, when the Brewers won, I think all Brewers fans, and myself included, just kind of went, phew, right? Because you could see how maybe this could go wrong, as well as the Brewers have been playing, and I think they're the better team than St. Louis. I think most people think that, right? But a three-game set, they get swept by the cards. Oh, boy. You're in danger of falling into that second wild-card spot. And yesterday, the Cubs lost as well, so Brewers fans have that... They're feeling that extra pressure that the Brewers got to take advantage of that. And when the Brewers got the win, whew, it was, it was very relieving for multiple reasons. And we're going to talk the, talk about the game specifically and, and kind of dive into Craig Council's strategy. And I want to hear from you as well. Now, I've posted a poll on Twitter. It's nothing as fancy or as uh, crazy as Dave and Scrady's arterial bar and grill poll questions in the mornings. It's just a simple, simple Twitter poll. I ask you, would you... Use a bullpen game, and that's in quotes because I don't really know what the term for it is. Would you use a bullpen game approach to fill a start during the playoffs? Whether it's a one-game wild card, whether it's a playoff series, and you just don't love your options, so you're going to let the bullpen take it? Yes or no? Got a couple votes. It's split, actually, right now. That's surprising, and we'll continue to dig into that. And, uh, and talk about that coming up next as we actually dive into the, sp- the specificities of the game last night and the strategy that was used. And if you want to have your verse- voice heard, 608-796-2558. As we talk about the Brewers' win over the St. Louis Cardinals yesterday, I'll update you on the standings in case you haven't done so yourself. Go through the box score and take a peek at what's going on with Christian Yelich as he continues to chase that National League MVP. More Brewers talk coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. I'm your host, Grant Bills. You're listening to WKTY. This one fly. This is way back. A booming home run for Ryan Braun. And it's one to nothing Milwaukee as that one goes up into Big Mac land. Brewers take game one of the series with the St. Louis Cardinals. One run of those six as the Brewers win six to four. Coming off of the bat of Ryan Braun, an absolute moonshot in the first inning. For number eight, Ryan Braun. He said before the game, I think it's going to be a good series. I think it's going to be feeling good. And he uh, he turned out to be right, at least for that at bat. One of six runs that the Brewers were able to hang. It's kind of an awkward feeling game last night from the Brewers. It, it, there was no starting pitcher. There was a rain delay. It was just weird. It felt clunky, as did the Monday night game last night. Just an uncomfortable night of sports. Did any of you have trouble sleeping? I did a little bit. It just felt unsettling, right? Uh, also, I want to update you. The the Packers making a move to help out their defense as uh, one of their players hit injured reserve earlier today. We'll talk about that coming up next. It's it's nothing earth-shattering. It's it's not breaking news material. We're not going to bring out the, you know, the da-dun-da-dun-da-dun. We're not going to bring out the sound effects or anything. But I'll, uh, I'll fill you in as that is coming up next. Uh, Tom chimes in on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Use a bullpen game as needed. Based on the circumstances, if you play tomorrow, not so much. But if you have the day off, it's an option. I I agree. I don't think there's an open and shut answer. I don't. Craig Council just must have not had confidence in Chase Anderson last night. I think that's what it came down to, unfortunately. We also have the poll regarding bullpen action uh, up at uh, WKTY's Twitter account. And I've retweeted it as well. You can find me at Keystroker Grant. Yes is starting to take the lead. You guys are saying, yeah, I would use a bullpen. And I think it makes sense to me. Craig Council's job as a manager of a baseball team, 
Now, the general manager's job is to put the talent on the field, right? The player's job is to execute, right? Craig Council's job as a manager is to put the players on the field at the right time that gives them the most chance to be successful. So Craig Council is trying to get every drop of juice, every drop of talent and make maximize it, right, out of the roster that he has. And every team in the MLB is different. Some have great starting rotations. Some have great offenses. Some have great bullpens. A combination of both. Every team is different. And Craig Council has had the job of, of putting the puzzle of the 2017-2018 the Milwaukee Brewers together to try to get as many wins as possible. I was joking two weeks ago that Craig Council probably, it probably bothers him sometimes that he has Josh Hader on his staff because he can never win. Either he's using him too much, he's not using him enough, he's leaving him in there for too long when he does pull the trigger and bring him out of the pen, or he's pulling him too soon. And then he's running Knable out there and Knable gets hit. It's a tough, tight rope to walk on for Craig Council. But it's one that I think he has been correct more often than he has been incorrect. Now, Craig Council's job going into, fingers crossed, the postseason for the Brewers is how to maximize every bit of talent on the Brewers team. Now, I think if you were to go down the roster, pitchers and and hitters, position players included, I think your best players on the Brewers right now would be Christian Yelich, one, and then it would be Josh Hader, and then it's up in the air. Is it Jeremy Jeffress? Corbin Burns? I don't think Corbin Burns has got the do that uh, that he deserves. Last night, he gets the win, although he only pitches a fraction of an inning. He's 7-0 and with an ERA scraping zero. Got a strikeout last night in the two batters that he faced as well. Corbin Burns has been electric. Jeremy Jeffers has been great. Corey Knable, since coming back from the, from the minors in that little stint, has been lights out. Knock on wood that that continues. I guess the point I'm trying to make is the Brewers' most valuable and most talented and most effective players, most of them are in that bullpen. So Craig Council has to figure out, not only in the the late stretch and the final stretch of the season, but going into the postseason, how does he get the most out of that bullpen? In other words, if the Brewers play a one-game series against the Cardinals or a one-game playoff against the Cardinals, if the Cardinals are going to score a bunch of runs and beat the Brewers, it is Craig Council's job to make sure they have to go through Josh Hader. They have to go through Jeremy Jeffers and Corey Knable. They have to beat your best players. Because if you lose to the the Cardinals 5-4, let's say, or 6-3, it doesn't matter. You give up a, a pile of runs. Your offense does good enough to win, but your defense and your pitching just doesn't just doesn't cut the mustard. If, if that happens and Craig Council doesn't use Josh, Josh Hader, doesn't use Jeremy Jeffress, doesn't use all of those great arms in the bullpen, whether they've been homegrown or been acquired throughout the season, he has failed. He has not done his job. Which is why I think a bullpen game or a bullpen start yesterday makes sense every once in a while. You can't do it every day, and you have to pick and choose your spots. But I think Council, using those bullpen pitchers, is just trying to get every drop of juice out of his best players, most of which are in that bullpen, which makes it tough. You know, the Cubs, I would say their best players, Javier Baez, Schwarber, Rizzo, Bryant, they all play in the field. They're all going to hit every day. They're going to get their ups. That makes Joe Madden's job a little bit easier. Now, Craig Council, he's got some great bats in the lineup. Don't get me wrong. But he has to maximize all of the talent on the roster top to bottom, most of which, like I said, resides in that bullpen. For a football analogy, it would be like if you have an electric running back, maybe like Aaron Jones, you would use him. Or or a a, a pass-catching threat that you paid a bunch of money. Jimmy Graham, you would throw him the ball, right? Or you have a worldly blocking tight end in Mercedes Lewis, especially with a weak quarterback and tackles that are struggling against great pass rushers. You would utilize them, right? That's what Mike McCarthy does, right? Or maybe, no? Oh, what? (laughs) Okay, maybe that's a bad example. 
But that, but that's that's what I was saying yesterday. That's a head coach's job. That's a manager's job. You need to maximize your best players. If the Cardinals are going to beat the Brewers, you make sure they have to go through Josh Hader and Jeremy Jefferson. They have to pitch to Christian Yelich. That's Council's job. And I think that bullpen start gives him flexibility and gives the, him the ability to get his most talented players on the field. That's just my two cents. I want you to chime in as well. 608-796-2558. We have the poll on Twitter as well, and I'm actually surprised. Our listeners are liking. They're liking the bullpen start. About 75% say yes. About 25% say no. And that poll is going to be going for another 24 hours. So you feel free to chime in whenever you have a moment at WKTY. I've also retweeted it on my personal account at Keystroker Grant as well. Brewers get the win last night, 6-4 to four in St. Louis. And as I when I started the show, I said the same thing. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Whew, a little bit of a sigh. Because the last thing you want to do is go lose game one. Go lose game one in St. Louis, and all of a sudden, the Cardinals are feeling good. That crowd's into it. And we all know St. Louis is a baseball town. Nothing against Milwaukee, but St. Louis is a baseball town. The Cardinals are their team. Last thing you want to do is give that crowd and that team a reason to think that there's Give them reason to think there's reason to reach for something more. You know what I mean? Give them something to play for. Open the door in game one. Not only do the Cardinals get a get a shot in the arm, their crowd gets a shot in the arm, but the Cubs lost yesterday. And then the Brewers see that. They go, oh man, we blew a good opportunity to maybe put some heat on Chicago and maybe make a last second push at the division. Not only that, but then then the Cardinals are in the Brewers' head. And we saw that earlier this year with the with the with the Cubs, right? So last night, getting game one, and maybe that was the the mentality that Craig Council brought into that game. Saying, you know what, this game's too important. Look, Chase, referring to Chase Anderson, we love you. You just haven't had your stuff. Your time will come. We're going to find a way to make use of you this season, whether it's in the postseason or before we get there. But we need to win this game. And all my best arms are in the bullpen. I can use Corbin Burns, Jeremy Jeffers, Josh Hader. And I can use them when I want. I can bring them in the game when I want. And Council has that flexibility. And Council's had to walk that tightrope this year of how to use those guys, when to use those guys. And last night he said, screw it, I'll bring them in when I want. If I want to bring Hader in in the second inning, damn it, I can do it. If I want to save Knable to close the game, that's fine. Jeffress, I can fit somewhere in the way. Jeffress, by the way, he was uh, dealing with, I believe it was a neck spasm or some some neck issues last night. Says he's good to go if the Brewers need him tonight. So there's your there's your breaking news. Bum 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 bum. There's your update. In case you didn't hear that, uh, that was per Adam McAlvey and, and Todd Rosiak and the rest of the Brewers beat writers on Twitter uh, just about an hour ago or an hour or two ago. Speaking of breaking news, we're going to dig into Packers coming up in a few minutes after we take a, a brief break and I get a drink of water and I'm ready to go because I got more fired up about that than I thought I would. Uh, A little bit of breaking news on the Packers front. Bringing in a new player to replace a player who hit injured reserve earlier today. Uh, Hopefully a a much-needed shot in the arm for that defense. As Kevin King's injury is still up in the air, we're not really sure. The Packers worked out a couple corners today, including uh, Bashad Breeland and David Amerson. Because I, I, I was originally scared that maybe Kevin King's injury was worse than we thought. Well, that turns out not to be the case, and I'll tell you exactly what I mean coming up around the corner. You want to talk about any of it, I'd love to have you. 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom text line. You can call me. You can text me. Just get in. Let's have a discussion. Twitter as well. Make sure to vote on the poll about the bullpen game. Do you like it? Don't you like it? We'll, uh, We'll check in with that at the end of the show and see where the results sit as we get ready for game two in St. Louis tonight. And of course, you can hear that right here on WKTY. We're transitioning to green and gold. 
little bit of breaking news on the Packers front, some thoughts as well to share coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolls on. Good Brewers talk. Rolling along today. I'm having a good time, and I'm excited after the Brewers get that 6-4 win last night. And let's face it, when you start, when you have a bullpen game, which I think we might see become a trend in the MLB, when you start a bullpen game, you're, you're risking a little bit. Because if you lose that game, now all of a sudden, not only have you lost the game, but you've spent your bullpen for the next couple of days, especially the way Council likes to rest Josh Hader. So good to see the Brewers get the win. I'm happy about that. Obviously, game two tonight in St. Louis, as that one game really buys them some breathing room. They could lose the next two, and the Cardinals only game one, gain one game. Right now, the wild card standings stand as such. Uh, the um, you know, Those are the divisional standings. The Brewers are back one and a half games behind the Chicago Cubs as they uh, lose last night. And then the wild card standings. The Brewers are up now three games over the St. Louis Cardinals. That's a, uh, that's a comfortable bumper. Although, the, if they win the next two, if the Cardinals beat the Brewers the next two games, that uh, does become so comfortable. But, whew, we can relax a little bit after last night as the Brewers get the win. A lot of interesting things about the Packers as the week crawls on after that ugly game in Washington on Sunday. The good news for the Packers is, is that they're going to get get some help for their defense. Now, today it became public that Devon House has been fighting a shoulder injury through training camp through the start of the season and is now going to be placed on IR and uh, will undergo surgery. Which makes sense, actually, uh, because you figured Devon House looked that bad in the preseason and he's looked that bad so far. They've had to scoot the roster around for guys like Aaron Jones and they've continued to keep Devon House on the roster, possibly hoping that when this injury gets better or if that injury got better and improved, that Devon House would be a better player. Well, now they're just going to cut bait. Devon House is going to have surgery, and they have, re- or not released him, but placed him on injured reserve, fle- clearing up a roster spot. And now Bashad Breland has agreed to terms with the Green Bay Packers. Now, we don't have any information. Rob Domovsky of ESPN, the ESPN Packers reporter, was the first to break the news on Twitter. This was at 3.16 p.m. today. And uh, we don't have the terms yet. We don't have any... Whether it's a one-year deal, nothing on compensation, but we do know that he is signing with with the Packers. Bashad Breeland could be a huge value signing for the Packers. He was an eight million a year corner and free agent mark uh, on the market in March. He played in sixty of possible sixty-four games for the Redskins, including fifty-eight starts with eight interceptions from two thousand fourteen to two thousand seventeen. So there's a little bit of a summary, also courtesy of Rob Domovsky. In case you uh, you wanted a little info, you can always check out Twitter. I'll retweet that tweet. You can follow me at Grant. So Devon House to the IR. Look, Devon House, he might be a great veteran leader. He might be. He stunk on ice on the field. Slow. He's getting beat. Bad pass interference penalty last week in the end zone. Bad, uh, bad set of penalties on, on punt coverage or punt return, excuse me. Just did not have a good start to the year. And with Kevin King injured, I don't think Brian Gutekunst is willing to sit idle and say, well, we'll just wait for King to get back because as we've seen in the past, not only have his injuries sometimes become prolonged and dragged out, but they have been, there's been multiple, right? It's been, he's been a repeat offender when it comes to injuries. So he's saying, look, maybe Kevin King doesn't come back healthy, but if that's the case, we can't say screw it, our secondary is shot. We got to go out and get some help. And that's what Brian Gutekunst did. 
by signing Bashad Breland. It could only be a one-year deal, or maybe it's a multiple-year deal, but now you feel a little bit better about that secondary. You basically swap Devon House for Bashad Breland, who is a younger uh, corner who's who's better. Well, let's just put it that way. Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Tremont Williams, Kevin King, should he and if he gets healthy, and now Bashad Breland. So you have a little bit of a flexibility, and I think that's... What Mike Pettin has been doing, he's been using his surplus of defensive backs to make up for his lack of linebackers. You saw them in dime package a lot, meaning I believe six defensive backs on the field. I believe that's what dime package means. Look, I'm not a color commentator. I've never coached football, but suffice to say, there have been a lot of defensive backs on the field uh, in lieu of a shortage of linebackers. So you lose Devon House, but you don't slow down. You pick up Bashad Breland, who I think most people would actually consider an upgrade, especially given the fact that he's been able to stay healthy, something that Devon House has not been able to do. Knock on wood, of course. Packers now prepare to take on Buffalo this upcoming Sunday, and, and we'll get you ready all week long here on WKTY as we hopefully start to turn the corner from last week and look forward to next weekend. That's that's the nature of the NFL this time of year. You spend a day or two, you break down the week before, and then you start to preview and look Look ahead to the next game. That's also what's great about the NFL. If you suffer a loss, you don't have to wait very long for the next game to come around. So we're going to continue to uh, to get you ready for Sunday as they host the Buffalo Bills at noon at Lambeau Field. That game uh, will probably be on CBS, which stinks. I don't know how you AFC fans do it. I I can't stand CBS. Now, I guess we will. No, we will not get Tony Romo. It's not the 3 o'clock game, but just the pregame show, just everything about it. I just like Fox better. I don't know if I'm alone there, but I just like Fox better. Terry, Howie, Michael, Jimmy is a staple. I grew up watching those guys. Fox is better. Hot take, maybe. I don't know. I just like Fox better. But they will host the AFC opponent in the Buffalo Bills, who are probably riding sky high right now, coming off the win against the Minnesota Vikings in Minneapolis last weekend. So that probably means Buffalo is going to have some some confidence. I don't think they're going to hold anything back. They're going to come out and play like they have nothing to lose, which may include throwing the ball all around the place, although they didn't throw the ball down the field much last weekend, as I've been kind of watching uh, watching a little bit of tape from that game. When I say tape, look, I'm watching replays. I'm watching highlights on YouTube. I don't have some cave. I go and uh, turn the lights off and, you know, roll the tape. That's not what I'm doing. But watching a little bit of uh, of, of replay and, and some highlights from last week, just seeing what exactly Buffalo did on offense. They didn't actually throw the ball down the field a whole lot. Now, that wouldn't exactly be prudent against that Vikings defense. They actually dumped it off short. The ball came out quickly, and it was a lot of yards after the catch. The Vikings struggled to tackle, and that includes Josh Allen getting out of the pocket and running a little bit. Is Oren Burks going to be deployed in a spiral? Because Blake Martinez exactly hasn't excelled in that role during his during his career. So we'll see possibly what kind of game plan Buffalo will come in. I, I just I just think they're gonna they're gonna throw all the chips on the table and, and try to build off what they did last week. Play like they have nothing to lose. And I think what we saw from Washington last week was they said, we have some speed threats. We're just going to throw the ball down the field. We are going to force Mike Pettin and those young defensive backs to, to stay sound down the field, to stay solid in coverage, to stay disciplined, and refrain from committing dumb penalties and giving us a bunch of yards. And that's, ex- that's exactly the opposite of what the Packers defense did on Sunday. So I wouldn't be surprised. Josh Allen's got a cannon of an arm. If they just don't unload it a couple times in the first half and see, and see what they see what they're capable of doing, see if they strike gold against that Packers secondary. Although that wasn't exactly the strategy last weekend, I think with the confidence and the sky high mentality that they're going to roll in with, I just think we'll see them throw the ball down the field a little bit. And I think Josh Allen running the ball is also going to be a threat. Now I haven't seen the spread if it has been released 
I'll check that in. And before we uh, wrap up the show today, I'll, I'll see what the preliminary numbers are at in terms of are the Packers favored? If so, how, by how much? Just what has been released so far? Obviously, it's only Tuesday, so we only have so much. I don't really know what the line is set, but the Packers, I would imagine, are going to be favored. I can't imagine Buffalo would be favored in Lambeau Field. Even if the margin is small, the Packers are going to be favored. How does Buffalo deal with that? And how do the Packers bounce back after last week? Maybe it's exactly what the Packers needed. If you look back through the history of the Green Bay Packers under Mike McCarthy, they're always due for one kind of game of the year. Even in 2011, when that game was when that team was sky high, they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and they were playing out of this world, they still had that dud game in Kansas City, right? Two years ago, they had some dud games. I'm not going to go into specifics. You know what I'm talking about. The, the game in Buffalo back in 2014, you remember that? Speak of the devil. They go to Buffalo against a, a pretty bad team, and they just get thrown around. Mike McCarthy's teams typically are good for one turd game every year. They're also notoriously slow starting. So maybe you get it out of the way with early, and now the Packers are just set to rock and roll. I think this might be exactly what the Packers needed. You never want to see the Packers lose a game that they had in hand. Now, I'm not saying the Packers should have won that game, nor did they blow that game, but they had their opportunities. As Aaron Rodgers said yesterday, and I played the soundbite on the show, left a lot of offense out on the field. Drops, uh, missed throws a couple by Aaron Rodgers, penalties, stuff like that. A lot of missed opportunities, and I think if you factor some of those into account, the Packers are right there at the end of that game, and you like your chances with Aaron Rodgers. I think that game was exactly what the Packers needed in terms of Mike McCarthy saying, oh man, maybe I got to coach this football team. Maybe I got to get out the whiteboard and, and get creative, draw up some things. We got some free agents in here. Maybe I should uh, try to incorporate them into the game plan. Aaron Rodgers, or excuse me, Aaron Jones, he's a, he's a good football player. He's a great football player on this football team. Maybe we should give him the ball, feature him in the offense a little bit. It's like anything else. There's my my $2 uh, Mike McCarthy impersonation for the day. Maybe Mike McCarthy does, does some things different. Now, now, that's me being an optimist. If I were being a nihilist and I was being a negative uh, uh, Packer fan, I would say Mike McCarthy's stubborn and he never changes. Why should we expect it this week? And I definitely think there's some validity to that too. Don't get me wrong. But with a gimpy quarterback, maybe I'm giving McCarthy too much credit. You guys heard what I had to say yesterday if you were tuned in. Not a fan of what he did in week in week three or week one. Week three, terrific. I know they didn't win, but week week two was terrific. Week one and week three, they were turds. Actually, they weren't turds. They were just an absence. There was no, it was an empty bowl. Mike McCarthy didn't uh, didn't succeed or fail. He just didn't do anything. So maybe I'm giving Mike McCarthy too much credit and saying he's going to really get creative. He's going to open up the playbook. But as Aaron Rodgers has said, his knee's really not getting better. The offensive line has now absorbed a couple injuries. The defense, Muhammad Wilkerson, looks like he's probably done for the year, if not worse. That was a horrifying injury. And obviously, you're thinking of Muhammad Wilkerson and praying for him because these guys do have lives off the football field. Remember, they do. They feel pain. They get scared for injuries. I, I'm scared. I get the daylight scared of me when I go to the doctor. So I feel for Muhammad Wilkerson there. But now that the Packers have absorbed a couple injuries and they're going to ha- have to adjust, basically adjust or die, adapt or die at this point, especially because the Bears are better than we think. The Vikings are still good. The Lions seem like they... They're doing something now. They beat the Patriots on Sunday night. They're going to have to adapt or die. And maybe that forces Mike McCarthy's hand to say, well, the tackles are struggling. We might have to scoot things around on the offensive line to absorb those injuries. Let's deploy Mercedes Lewis. Let's use him for what we brought him in for, and that's to block the living crap out of everyone and everything in sight. Jimmy Graham, we paid you a bunch of money. 
You were supposed to be the greatest thing since Mertilus Bennett, who was supposed to be the greatest thing since Jared Cook, who was supposed to be the greatest thing since Jermichael Finley. Let's start throwing you the ball. And I don't care if it's lining you up in a formation to get you open and Aaron Rodgers, that's your first read, and damn it, that's where you're going with the ball. Let's design something to get Jimmy Graham involved. Let's not only give Aaron Jones a series here and there, but let's mix him in all the time to this offense. I know he's not great in pass protection, but the offense, they're going to have to figure that out. They're going to have to live or die on a play or two where you don't have a great pass blocker in the backfield. It's, it's just plain and simple. You're going to have to incorporate Aaron Jones. And what's frustrating about Aaron Jones is him running the football and Aaron Rodgers throwing the football looks like mutually exclusive events. Never once have I seen so far this year or in recent history with a Packers running back who's who's running well live in harmony. It's clunky. All right, we're throwing, throwing, throwing. All right, pass, run, 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 run. Let's give him let's give him a couple handoffs in a row. Pass, pass, pass. They're mutually exclusive. So Mike McCarthy's got to figure that out as well. Not how only do I deploy weapons like Mercedes Lewis, Jimmy Graham, and Aaron Jones, but how do I do it in a way that doesn't disrupt the offense and disrupt Aaron Rodgers? So I, I don't envy him. He's got a he's got a stew to cook this week. And God forbid he gives the team a day off tomorrow like he did last week. God forbid. Especially now as Bashad Breland enters the fold. I can't imagine uh, he'll have a whole lot of time to practice and a whole lot of time to uh, get ready for that game. But that's just another piece that's going to be incorporated. Obviously not Mike McCarthy's fault. But uh, but yeah, there you go. He's got a stew to cook. I don't envy him. Uh, Jonah chimes in on Twitter. He said, one thing I haven't heard anybody talk about is the effect of the overtime period both the Packers and the Vikings played a week ago. I think it had more bearing on their play than people are talking about. Look, Jonah, I, I agree. I think that is, been, and especially because you can look at not only the Packer game from last week and the Vikings game. They both played pretty poorly. The Vikings very poorly. Aaron Rodgers spoke to that in his press conference yesterday, and I played the soundbite yesterday. They asked, you know, you guys played an extra quarter of football or an extra 10 minutes of football last week. Is, is that a coincidence? Is that an excuse? Or is there some real fact? And Aaron Rodgers said, yeah, it's, it's an excuse. But when both teams suffer the same fate the next week, I, I do think there is something to be said. But, Joni, you got to keep in mind, the offense looked putrid yesterday. They only had one possession in overtime. Five extra minutes of football is what Aaron Rodgers and that offense played against the Vikings. Five minutes, if that. They had one drive. It's not like they played for an extra three hours because of a weather delay and then a full 15 minutes of overtime because now the NFL has shrunk it down to 10 minutes. And we've already seen two ties this year. I don't really know if that's what they were going for. I think their their plan was to up the urgency, but instead they have just minimized the time for the game to conclude itself. <laughs> I think there is an effect. I think there is a little bit of a hangover. But, Joni, you got to keep in mind that offense looked horrible. The defense, I, I can feel. They played a lot. They were on the field a lot at the end of that game in overtime. And they looked tired. They looked sleepy in that game yesterday. But the offense looked putrid. And they only had one extra possession to deal with last week. And some games, look at the Saints and the Falcons, what they did. 800 combined yards of passing in that one. Stuff like that happens. And that's something that you need to absorb as a football team. As a football team. Look, I'm, I'm becoming Mike McCarthy here on air. Uh, good talk. Thanks, Jonah, for chiming in on Twitter. Last segment coming up. We got to cover a couple different things. And if you want to talk about any of them, 608-796-2558. That is the five-star telecom talking text line. And I'd love to hear you. Love for you to chime in. Coming up next, I want to bookend Brewers talk, bookend Packers talk. I want to talk a little bit about the Badgers as they did win against Iowa on Saturday. I finished the show yesterday, and I said, geez, we didn't even get to the Badgers because there was so much going on. And that's fine. I'm only on for about an hour. 
you can't get to it all, but we're going to get to it coming up next. The Packers did get an impressive win in a very hostile environment. Excuse me, Badgers got a win in a very hostile environment on Saturday night in Kinnick Stadium. So we got to talk about that. I want to talk a little bit about Alex Hornibrook and a couple other things regarding that team. We'll also get you ready for the Brewer game tonight. They're not going with a bullpen day. They actually do have a starting pitcher, and I will give you that and the rest of the starting lineup before we uh, before I sign off for the night. A couple other things as well. As Packers news continues to trickle in, I'll keep you updated on the whole Bashad Breland situation. All of that before I say goodbye for the night. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up here with me, your host, Grant Bills on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills, and I thank you for spending a little time with me this evening to talk some sports. I have a blast doing the show. Hope you have a blast listening. And don't forget that coming up shortly after I conclude, the Brewers are going to be taking over as they continue their playoff push. Looks like Jeremy Jeffers is going to be available tonight, which is thumbs up good. You love to see that. Obviously, you want uh, all your players healthy. So that's, we continue to get updates. Jeremy Jeffress, you know, doing this, doing that on the field. It sounds like he's going to be available. It'd be great. They didn't have to use him, but it sounds like in a pinch, he'll be available tonight. So there's your Brewers action. We'll get you the rundown here before I sign off. And before we turn it over to the Brewers radio network, just shortly after I am done, I want to talk a little Badgers. There is a lot going on this week. There's some news on the Vikings front with Everson Griffin and Dalvin Cook. I want to get into that as the week goes on. I, I, I don't really have time to get into it today. But we'll keep you updated. And Scrady and Dave will probably get to it tomorrow morning and do a better job as Scrady's got that Vikings angle. So make sure you're tuned in tomorrow morning, 6 to 9 a.m., four mornings with Dave and Scrady right here on WKTY. However you're listening now, it's going to work tomorrow morning. Tune back in, and when they'll uh, they'll get you updated with the Packers division rival. I'm not above talking Vikings. I just know when to pass it along to those more qualified and more passionate. And Mr. Matthew P. Scrady is exactly that. What I do want to talk about, because we missed out on it yesterday, is the Badgers... Getting a win in Iowa City at Kinnick Stadium on Saturday night. It was something that I did not have confidence in. We talked to Joe Zanzola last week. He didn't have a ton of confidence in. We do have a couple Iowa fans here around the building, and I think they did make some good points when I asked them just casually for predictions. They said, look, until the Iowa beats Wisconsin, I think you have to take the Badgers. Although you certainly like the situation the Hawkeyes were in on Saturday night, they have not shown the inclination or the ability to beat the Badgers in recent years. So they were saying, look, until we see otherwise, we're going to we're gonna pick the Badgers. And I, and I think that's a good strategy. Maybe I was being a little bit too negative. But the Badgers do go in. They bounce back from their loss from the BYU Cougars on Saturday night in one of the most hostile environments in college football. Kinnick at night, I've never been. I had a lot of friends go down. I did graduate. I'm not name dropping at all. I'm just trying to paint a picture. All right. So don't, don't be hopping on the phones. Don't be hopping on Twitter. Um, but I did go to high school with the Iowa quarterback, Nate Stanley. Graduated in the same class. I watched him play in high school. I've obviously been watching him all the way through. That guy can ball. All right, so a lot of people who I knew, especially uh, high school classmates, went down for the game. I saw a lot of pictures, and I talked to them. And Kinnick at night, they said, and this is Badger fans that this is coming from. It's, it's a cool atmosphere. It's a wild place, and it's something that should be experienced by college football fans. I also have a high school classmate. I'm just, like I said, trying to paint a picture here uh, who plays for Wisconsin. Mason Stocky recently moved to fullback and we talked to uh, to Zach Heilprin a couple weeks ago about that very player because I had to ask. Uh, and he said his ears were ringing after the game. Had to go to the silent count and explained a little bit on how that works, which is cool to hear the inner workings of, of how uh, an offensive line and, and a center and a quarterback and that whole unit there in the backfield works when it is actually that loud where you cannot hear. And I know on TV, and even if you're in a game, it sounds loud. When you're down on the turf or on the bench, and every mouth in the stadium is pointed at you, 
It's crazy. Said his ears were ringing. He had a headache most of the night. My mom's an audiologist. She cringes at that very, uh, at that very statement. Uh, audiologist, a doctor of ears. I wouldn't have known what that was uh, if my mom is not that. I had to tell her that story, and she's like, oh, man. Hearing loss, hearing loss. Here we go. The Kinnick Stadium at night is electric, and the Badgers were able to escape with a win. Alex Hornibrook, look. Oh, my God. He played well. Look, I give him credit. He played well under the lights. He stepped up, and he made some big throws. He went 17-22 to for 205 and three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a QBR of just over 83. Look, I have never once said, and I, I guess I'm, I'm not getting mad. I'm not ranting at you, at you. I have a lot of friends who we always talk Badgers, especially now that we have some high school classmates who play on the team, and, and we like to watch that, obviously. But I don't think it's any secret Alex Hornibrook hasn't exactly been a world beater. He's had good games. Last year against BYU, who played well, and he played well in the Orange Bowl. That's about it. I don't know about you. I don't care if Hornibrook has a good game or two a year. If he can't do it consistently, this Badger team is never going to get past the New Year's Six Bowl. Look, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to play in a New Year's Six Bowl, but very many Badgers fans, players, media members expected a run at the college football playoff this year. And what I'm absolutely sick of is Hornybrook fans coming out of nowhere two times a year to say, look how good he is, and then to just disappear (laughs) when the Badgers host Purdue and he throws three picks and only completes six passes. Or when the Badgers play at Ohio State and their defense plays great and their running back is is electric and their offensive line is dialed in and Alex Hornibrook only has to play just average, if not slightly better, and he doesn't. And he throws the ball over the field and he can't complete a pass. And nobody says a word. But then that one game in the Orange Bowl where Hornibrook plays pretty well and his receivers help him out. See, I told you all along, Alex Hornibrook's a good quarterback. Badgers got one there. Okay, I need some consistency. This is his third year starting. I know he can have a good start here or there. I'm not saying he can't. A lot. Look at Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a great example. The NFL equivalent of Alex Hornibrook. Yeah, he can string a couple good games together. But he cannot and has not done it consistently. I'm sure Alex Hornibrook is a great guy. I'm not hating him personally. But Michigan's got a quarterback. Ohio State always has a quarterback. Um, <laughs> Iowa has a quarterback now that I'm drawing a blank. Of course, Penn State has a quarterback. Michigan State has a quarterback. Teams have quarterbacks. Everybody says it's hard to find a quarterback in the Big Ten in college football. Look, I agree. It's a valuable position and it can't be undervalued. I get that. But but Harbaugh's figured it out. Urban Meyer's figured it out at least every once in a couple of years. Maybe not all the time. When was the last time the Badgers had a good quarterback? Russell Wilson? I, I just don't think it's it can't be that hard to find a quarterback. All the other teams in the Big Ten are doing it. Figure it out, Wisconsin. Figure it out. Alex Hornibrook, there. Third good third good game in a calendar year. Congratulations. Let's throw a parade in downtown Madison. I'm not trying to sound negative. I'm just saying. Nate Stanley, in comparison, the Iowa uh, junior, 14-23. Not great in terms of completion percentage, but he did throw for 256 yards. Had some big plays mixed in there. Two touchdowns and one interception. That uh, was only half his fault. Threw the ball behind a little the receiver. Probably put a little more zip on the ball than he needed. That's uh, That's kind of... The consensus from the announcers. And then uh, uh, TJ Edwards came in, made the play to close out the game at the end. So 28-17, to 17, the Badgers get the win. They continue to sit tight at 18 in the AP poll, or at least the poll that ESPN is listing. I would assume they're using the AP. Moving to 3-1 and one and bouncing Iowa down to 3-1. and one, Now giving Wisconsin the driver's seat in terms of controlling the Big Ten West for the rest of the season. Good show today. Had to sneak some Badger stock in there. I didn't think I'd get riled up. Vote on the poll on Twitter if you haven't yet. Bullpen start, good or bad. 
WKTY Twitter. Follow him at WKTY. I also retweeted it as well. Remember, no Wisco Sports Show tomorrow. We get you ready for the uh, the Eagles game, the lacrosse Eagles football. <laughs> Just tripping all over my words. The football game for UWL on Saturday. They host Whitewater October Oktoberfest weekend. It's going to be big, so make sure you're tuned in tomorrow. Tim Diller joins the show on Thursday to continue the Brewers talk as they make a postseason push. And I'm excited. Hope you are too. Same time, same place on Thursday. I'll talk to you then.